Everyone's returning back to regular rhythms. Welcome to students, whether you're a returning student or whether you're here for the first time. We are delighted to see you uh, here at Knox, and, and we hope and pray that you will find just a good home here um, at Knox. And if you're new to Knox, I imagine you might be wondering, uh, what sort of church is this? Um, It's a good question for you to ask and wonder about. You wonder, is this going to be a helpful place for me to explore, to experience God, to grow in God? And that's something you're going to need to sort through, but I really hope we can help. Um, And for the next three weeks, I think we might be of some help, because for the next three weeks, we're we're going to look at the theological vision that drives our church, that moves us, and I hope that'll give you a greater sense of what this community, Knox Church, is all about. As you've probably heard, at Knox Church, we're a community that is committed to following Jesus and loving the city and serving the world. That's how we say who we are as a church. It's our identity. It's our mission statement. It's on our publications. It's on our website. We're a community of Jesus, following Jesus, loving the city, serving the world. And all the particulars of our ministry, all of what we do, flow out of those three core convictions. And today I want to focus our attention on that first, on Jesus, on following Jesus. We are a church. We are a community. We're not a collection of individuals. We're we're an interconnected community that is birthed by the Spirit of God and centered in a person, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, resurrected, and now sits on the throne of all heaven and earth. We are a community of people who center our life together on that one reality, that one person, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ is the one who defines us and guides us and centers us as a community. And so together we have committed ourselves to following Jesus, to understand and learn what it means for the Lordship of Jesus Christ to intersect all, every dimension of our lives, what it means for Jesus to be our Savior what it means for him to be our companion, our friend. What it means for him to be our judge. Yes, he is our judge. And what it means for him to be our Lord. Simply put, it means we're trying to figure out what it means to obey Jesus. Genuine faith is found where there is eager obedience. Which leads us to the question that Jesus asks here in Luke in the passage we read, an important question for anyone who is seeking to follow Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why would you believe in me? Why would you call me? Why would you attribute to me this title, this esteem of Lord and not obey? In asking this, There's actually an invitation as well. Jesus is inviting us to an integrated life of freedom, a life where all of our actions and our convictions, our stated beliefs are integrated in a life of obedience, which is a life of freedom. Now that might strike you as odd. How, especially in our culture today, people wonder, how can an obedient life be a free life? But Christianity is always understood That a life of service, of obedience to Jesus is the freest, fullest life. There is freedom in following Jesus. 
As I said, this strikes so many in our culture as, well, nonsense. Because the message throughout our culture is we must pursue a life free from any constraints. The good life is found only when we have when we possess the absolute freedom to choose whatever it is we want, when there is no one telling you who you are or what you're to do. Freedom, our culture tells us, is the, is, is the capacity to choose whatever it is you wish for your life. But we got to ask, how's that working out? My read on culture, and I would say not so well, there feels like there's an epidemic of anxiety in our culture. It, it, we're the sense that the freedom that we've pursued has made us so fragile. People are, are constructing identities, trying to piece together a meaningful life, and those identities and those lives just are so fragile. And it feels like they can't weather so many of the storms that life sends our way. They're sort of like the house that one builder Jesus talked about who builds his house, but there's no foundation, and it is utter destruction. In contrast, Jesus offers us freedom found in obedience to him. In Jesus, freedom means the capacity to live in a way that is congruent with our true nature, with how God has constructed, created, made us to be. Freedom is the absence of any impediment to us acting in line with that true created nature. And that true created nature is to be a child of God, to live in communion with God and to fill, uh, fulfill and serve his purposes in this world. Freedom is found in obedience to Jesus. Now that's a pretty audacious claim. Build your life on me, Jesus says. And trust your life. Entrust your family, your most intimate relationships. Entrust your future, your career, your work life. Entrust them to me. Hear my words and, and live them out. You would be suspicious of anyone in your orbit, or in your world, who would say that to you. Who would make such a claim like that? So who is Jesus to make a claim like that? In asking us this question, Jesus is getting at a core issue that we all need to face. He's asking, what is central to your life? Who's the authority upon which you base your thinking, your decision-making, your choices? What is the foundation of the desires of your heart that fuel and drive you? What is the foundation that you're building your life on? Jesus comes to each one of us, even today, and says, build your life on me, on my life. Now, why would you do that? Who would lead, what would lead someone to, to totally reorient and structure their life and establish it on Jesus? Why do Christians look to Jesus not just for their salvation, but for direction, for purpose, for meaning. For that matter, why do billions of people across the globe who are so sure that they know him, that they not only worship him and sing songs to him and create grand works of art and build cathedrals to him, but eagerly follow him, bet their lives, stake their lives on him, willingly go wherever he leads, even if it's difficult, even to die for him? Why Jesus? 
This is a big question for our world, for all of us, no matter who you are, no matter what age, and with great humility, I hope, and with out a hint of superiority, I want to briefly tell you why we are convinced of that claim of Jesus Christ here at Knox. We look to Jesus, we follow him in obedience, and we invite everyone to do the same because of the uniqueness and the finality of who Jesus is. Jesus is utterly unique in what he said. No one, no one said the things Jesus said, and I'm not thinking only of his teachings, which are wisdom and striking in their wisdom and brilliance, but I'm thinking of the claims that he made. Think of the way Jesus spoke so often, so frequently. Other teachers would speak by authority, but Jesus would speak with authority. Jesus simply says, truly, truly, I say to you, and there's no appeal to another source. There's no appeal to another authority. He says, I say to you. Jesus even dared to set his words over against those of other religious authorities who came before him. And several times in his life, Jesus would say, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Setting himself in contrast to many other religious authorities. In the Gospel of Mark, we hear Jesus saying something even more audacious. Uh, in this, there's a story in the Gospel of Mark where we're told it's evening and the disciples are caught in a pretty violent storm, a hurricane of a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and, and waves were breaking over the sides of the boat, and Jesus was on board fast asleep on a cushion in the stern, and the disciples are waking up saying, Master, we're perishing, we're dying, do something. And Jesus stands up and he speaks to the environmental forces. He speaks to the hurricane and he says, be still. No appeal again to a higher power. No prayer, no incantation or anything. Jesus just speaks to the raw forces of nature and he says, hush, be quiet. And the winds die down and the sea becomes perfectly still and the disciples are freaked out and ask, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this? Or think of how Jesus spoke of himself in his regular preaching and teaching. Other religious figures in the world would say things like, follow the law, follow the way of love, follow the eightfold path towards enlightenment, obey the karma. But Jesus says, follow me. Drink from me, eat of me, abide in me, be yoked to me. Remarkable. Moses never made himself the issue of Judaism. Muhammad never makes himself the issue of Islam. Buddha never makes himself the issue of Buddhism. In fact, Buddha told his disciples, I can't help you. You've got to go find enlightenment on your own. Jesus is just so unique in his claims to be God. No one else claimed about himself what Jesus did. You can conclude that those claims are wrong. But you've got to admit, no one ever said about himself what Jesus did. Think of all the things. He said, I am the bread of life. I am that without which you cannot live. I am living water. And if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and you will have coming out of you springs of living water. I am the light of the world, he said. Follow me, and you will not walk in darkness. I am the resurrection and the life, he said. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. 
And on it goes. No one, no one said such things. And, and we obey him as Christians because we are convinced he was not wrong. But more, we follow Jesus in obedience because Jesus is unique in what he did. And I'm not talking about the many miracles that Jesus did, but more so what Jesus accomplished on the cross. While Jesus claimed to be doing and coming down from heaven to this earth, living among us, going to the cross to die for us, no one ever claimed to do such a thing. In Jesus, we see Almighty God, the one who fashioned and formed this entire universe, humbling himself, coming to our level, becoming human, entering and understanding the human predicament. He sees our need. He experiences it. He needs our need for salvation. And on the cross, he willingly gives his life so that we might live. In his death, he deals head-on with sin, with all the forces that have held us captive, engaging the powers that threaten to destroy us. He cancels the debt. He makes us free. No one did the things Jesus did. And, And he not only died on a cross, but after three days, he rose from the dead. And when the women went to the tomb to anoint his body, his dead body, to their utter amazement and shock, The tomb was open, the body was gone, not taken away, but transformed, not resuscitated, but resurrected, taken through death into a whole new plane of existence, a whole new order of life. Jesus Christ is uniquely competent to save us, to bring us life. No one has his qualifications. And still more, we, we lay our lives down in obedience to Jesus because he is unique in the salvation he offers. The Christian vision of salvation is big. It is about forgiveness of sins, absolutely, but it includes the restoration of everything that is bent and broken and bruised in this world. The restoration and renewal of all things, spiritual and physical. It is a vision for material, emotional, relational, spiritual healing of the entire cosmos. And do you know how utterly unique that is? Outside of the Bible, no other religion holds the hope of a restoration of perfect shalom and justice for this material world. There's a a Sri Lankan writer, um, Vinoth Ramachandra, who writes and articulates this so well. He talks about how all other religions offer salvation as some form of release from ordinary existence, some form of escape. That's what salvation is, from this material life so that we can move on to some other transcendent spiritual reality. But he writes this. He says, biblical salvation lies not in escape from this world, but in the transformation of this world. You will not find hope for this world in any of the religious systems or philosophies of humankind. The biblical vision is unique, he says. That is why, he goes on, when some people say... Isn't there salvation in other faiths? I asked them, what salvation are you talking about? No faith holds out a promise of eternal salvation for our world, the ordinary world, then the cross and the resurrection of Jesus do. Jesus uniquely offers a salvation that affirms this life, that offers hope for this life, this world. And so Christians, because of that, have have confidently said, I know this might be challenging, and it might offend, but Jesus is unique above all others. And so we at Knox confidently center our lives on the person of Jesus Christ, believing him to be the clearest 
revelation of God, finding in him alone the life and the salvation we and our world have hungered for. And so if we follow him, we worship him, we devote our lives to him, we obey him, allowing Jesus to shape our thinking, to direct our careers, to influence all of our life choices. And at the start of this year, you know, it, we're, we're re-engaging with work and school and in different places. I just got to say, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, with proper confidence, you can confess Jesus as Lord, as the unique Savior of the world in all those places. Certainly in our culture, it's, it's politically incorrect to confess this, but we don't have to cower back. We don't have to be ashamed of that claim of the uniqueness of Jesus. Now, certainly people are going to challenge you on that. Students, some of your classmates... They're going to tell you how narrow that is. Some of your professors are going to push back hard on that. And they'll challenge you. For the others of us, our colleagues at work might say something like, like how, how can you say that? But without a hint of arrogance, with a humble confidence that comes from the gospel, we can say there is no other name under heaven in which salvation lies. It is in Jesus. Jesus Christ is intellectually credible. He is heart existential satisfying. And we can live with that confident faith. And we not only confess him with our mouth, but we stake our lives on it. Because we sense deeply that there's nothing more valuable in life, nothing more magnificent or beautiful, nothing grabs our heart more than the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And so we place our life's trust in him. Because his commandments fit our true nature. Jesus invited us to do that. He says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Yoke is a metaphor for, for obedience. His commands fit because they're made for our flourishing. The Apostle John talks about this. How, how the commandments of, of God, he says, are not burdensome. Actually, the burden of God, whatever we imagine the burden, is our blessing. They are the, the limits that bring us freedom. And only in Jesus do we find someone who will give his life so that we might know life. Only in G Jesus do we find someone who is with us when those storms blow, who accepts us even when it feels like our life falls apart. Only in Jesus do we get more than a coach or a life consultant or a guru or a wise professor to guide us. We get a Savior who loves you more than you will ever imagine and who gave his life so that you might know that life. Many of us here this morning do, in reference to Jesus, call him Lord. And this question of Jesus is challenging to us. It causes us to look at our life, to do an inventory, to examine our lives freshly and ask ourselves, well, where is it that I am not obeying what you say, Jesus? And I encourage you, pray that prayer today. Invite the Lord to, to examine your life and show perhaps areas where maybe you're keeping away, where maybe you've edited the words of Jesus to fit your lifestyle just a little better. Areas of our life where we're saying, no, 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 Jesus, that's a little too costly. That's going to be a little too difficult for me to follow in my job. That, that would really make friendships a little more uncomfortable, so I'm not going to do that. If at any given moment 
we will not do what he says to do. It means that at any given moment, we're not putting our trust in Jesus as Lord of our life. At that moment, something or someone else is Lord. And we'll take Jesus on as a consultant or a coach, but not as the one who commands our allegiance. Because to follow him is to obey him, to believe he's good, to trust he's wise and just and right and compassionate and God, and then do what he says. For others of us here this morning, maybe we have never seriously looked to Jesus as Lord. Maybe he seems interesting. You know, he looks like a good teacher, but Lord, a little far-fetched, I think. Can I challenge you? If that's you, can I challenge you to do some primary research? Consider the life of Jesus, what he said, what he did, the salvation he offers. As you heard, we're hosting something called Alpha, and it's a perfect opportunity to, to explore, to ask questions, to dive in, and I encourage you to do that. Or I encourage you to pray with someone. We have prayer teams available after the service, and I encourage you to pray with someone about this. But no matter who you are, the invitation is to come and build your life on Jesus because there is where freedom and flourishing is found in obedience to Jesus. It is a life congruent with God's created purposes for your life. It is what it means to be fully human, to be fully alive. And we as a church, as we pursue this, we fall, we stumble, we fail. We don't get this right at all. But we know we have a Lord who stakes all to give us this life of freedom and flourishing, a life of truth and beauty and goodness that will endure. The invitation is there, friends. Come, follow Jesus, the living Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for words that challenge. We thank you for the truth that Jesus is the Lord of all. And we confess that it's easy to sometimes hedge our bets, to keep parcels of our life out from under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we ask for forgiveness for that, God. We somehow feel that it it probably is going to be too burdensome or too challenging. We feel it's going to crimp our freedom or our style. But we end up with less life in that exchange. Father, I pray that you would, in a fresh way, reveal the truth and the beauty and the goodness of Jesus to each and every one of us, wherever we are at, in whatever place. May we reflect on the wonder of your revelation in Jesus. And may that reflection cause us to to live lives of refreshed and renewed obedience to him. Jesus, our prayers be the center of all that we are and all that we have. We are yours. We are your people. In Jesus' name, amen.